0: All right, Matthew 27, and uh, we're going to go back up to verse 50 here and just uh, kind of catch the where we kind of ended last time and then uh, really like to move on through, and uh, we're getting close to the end here of the book. And uh, as we do that, um, these events kind of begin to just unfold. Uh, Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Again there, what he says is, it is finished. That's what he cries. And those last words to come out of his mouth here, Father, into your hands I commend myself, and off he goes. And really, it's over. It's done. Uh, and uh, it, that uh, word, the, the, the expression in Greek is tele... tele I, I'm not even going to be able to say it, so I won't even try because the Greek's not that, uh, you know, we don't... But really, he, he just yields up to, He dismisses his spirit like nobody else can do. And he says, it is finished. It's done. And what he does now, what Matthew does now, starting in verse 51, is once Christ has yielded up the, his ghost, again, he died differently by, by the way, the, the yielding up your ghost, uh, your ghost, his ghost, it's a natural tendency for people to want to just go on and die. You know, you, you see people who get sick and they're like, why can't I just die? Well, because you're a person and you can't do what the Lord did. And he gave up the ghost. He died differently because his death was not just a human death. It was a sacrifice for the payment that God for, that, for a payment that God was doing. So he was able to just dismiss his spirit, yield up the ghost. And, uh, that, and when he does that, by the way, that's his soul leaving, departing from his body. Now, what Matthew's going to begin to do now is list some of the fallout, some of the results here, some of the consequences, some of the accomplishments of his death. And he lists them in connection to how he presents Christ to Israel. And he presents Christ to Israel as their rejected king. That's what he's going to do here. The consequences of their rejection and the consequences of his crucifixion. And he lists them briefly, and uh, and, and but really... A very significant series of events as you study out, them out here. And again, just as Mark's going to do it, just as Luke, just as John. We've seen Luke and John, and uh, again, I, I'll probably say it a thousand times through all of these studies. Each of these Gospels presents and puts in, in their epistles those events and conversations and Things that parallel the the purpose for which they're writing that portrait that they're painting, and uh, that's really the, the that the perspective here, verse fifty one. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent twain, in twain, from the top to bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. So the first thing that Matthew presents here in the happening is when Christ yields up the ghost. In, he says, it is finished, he dies, the veil in the temple is rent, it's, it's pulled. That veil that, that hid the holy of holies from, uh, from uh, the holy place, it's rent, and it's rent from top to bottom. So that's always a trivia question. How, when, when, he, when the veil was rent, was it top to bottom or bottom to top? You know what most people say? Bottom to top. But this wasn't. This was top to bottom. Now, the significance of that, come back to chapter 23. It's significant why the rending of the veil here, and it's very important to catch because of the timing of it. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 36. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her her chickens under her wings. And here's the kick, and ye would not. He says, I would have gathered you, protected you, like a mother would protect her own chickens. I would have hovered over you, I would have fed you, I would have did everything, but you wouldn't have me. You rejected me. And again, we've seen from the very beginning in Matthew, he's Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the place of rejection. They call him Jesus of Nazareth. They call him that in the book of Acts, early Acts there. And we see from the very beginning that he's always had in Matthew that picture of being the rejected one. And here, the wise. by the way, the wise men come. And uh, they say, where is he born king of the Jews? And Herod and the chief priest and everybody has a cow. They don't want another king. And yet in Matthew 2, he was two years old when they find him. Plenty of time to have gotten to him and brought him there. But yet from there all the way here to here in Matthew, he's what? Rejected. Rejected. He's the rightful king but he's been rejected by his nation. That's why John 1 when we studied John, I said John 1 verse 11 and 12 are the, the picture of it all. They, they are the theme verses of John. John 1:11 he came unto his own and his own what? received him not. So you're so when you That's what he's happening here. I would have done all this for you, but you wouldn't have me. You rejected me. Verse 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Behold, your house, the temple, is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. You know what? Christ is standing in the temple. What does he say? He's looking at the leaders of Israel, that favored nation, and he says, your house, that temple now, is desolate. And then what does he do? He goes out and departs from the temple. He walks out of it. When he walks out of it, it's as if he's saying, I am God, and I'm leaving this place. And now it's not my father's house, it's not my house It's empty and it's desolate. So the glory of God is what? It's gone. It's left. And it's not going to come back until you see him uh, coming in the name of the Lord. Not until that second coming. Not until the millennial kingdom now will you ever see. So you're in Matthew. Look back just a book to Malachi. So it's at his second coming when he comes back to that temple, Malachi 3. He leaves the temple in as, as the rejected one, but yet when he comes back, he comes back in his glory. That Matthew 25 passage where he comes back in all of his glory, sitting on the throne, and he does out the Gentiles there, the nations. There, that's where we're at. Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to... Notice, his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom he delighteth in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Talking about Elijah, but he's, chapter 4 there, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Here's Elijah, but yet John the Baptist represents them. type picture. He's going to come and prepare that nation for the second coming. See. So when the Lord suddenly comes, he's coming to his temple. In Acts 3, when Paul, when Paul, when Peter talks about the times of refreshing and the restoration of all things, he's talking about when the Lord comes, and that he, he's talking about the time when God's going to take that situation where the glory has left and restore it. So when you come back to Matthew 27 here, in picture and in type, when that great heavy curtain, veil, that separated everyone from the glory, we call it the Shekinah glory, everything that began to separate the Holy of Holies from the holy place, when that was ripped in half, torn asunder, it exposes the holy of holies and what does it expose desolate it's empty all they see is the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat and the cherub but God is not there the cherub that's where God said he would dwell between Uh, come over come back to Psalms 80 all of this is transpiring is really a fulfillment of the of the picture here psalms 80 verse 1 psalms 80 verse 1 give ear o shepherd of israel thou that leadest joseph like a flock thou that dwellest between the cherubs shine forth that shekinah glory the presence of the lord that's what shekinah in hebrew means presence let the glory he says listen in exodus he says He will meet them on the mercy seat. When the high priest comes in and brings the blood and does all that, he says, I'll meet you over there between the cherubs. But now, come back to Matthew 27, all of that is exposed. The veil is torn asunder, and they see that God is gone. The rending of that veil demonstrates the judgment of God on the nation And it's open testimony to the fact that they are now a forsaken nation. God has forsaken them. Why? Because they won't have him. They crucified him. They would not have him, so what did he do? He left. He withdrew from the nation. He withdrew his presence from the nation. But now his presence are only going to be found with the little flock, that little believing remnant. Verse, you're in Matthew 27. Look at verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women, I love that, many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. The, so you got some disciples, relatives out here. Come over to Luke 23. Luke 23, again, we're talking about his presence has left the nation, but it's... But he's sitting over there, and those women afar off in that little flock. Look at Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 27. Luke 23, 27. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. By the way, he continues on down, talk, giving them a passage about the great tribulation. It's coming, Jacob's troubles coming, and it's coming because of their sin, but it's also becoming of their, because of their rejection of the Messiah. But notice how he identifies the women, daughters of Jerusalem. That's a tremendous term used over and over in the prophets. He'll call them the virgin daughters of Israel. And it's, that, it's a title that describes what Luke 12, 32 calls that little flock as, as they go into that tribulation. And again, Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see, they they have a number of different titles. In Isaiah 26, they're called the Righteous Nation. In Jeremiah and Isaiah and Lamentation, they're called the Virgin Daughters of Israel. This pure group of people, this believing remnant, come back to Matthew 27 now, and that's who they are. So it's interesting in Matthew 27, 54 that you've got the Gentiles there And the little flock is represented there. And Matthew sets here before us a situation where Christ is, he's going to come and show Israel's failures. Rent the veil. And yet, then he's going to point to the Gentiles and say, look, they're ready to receive it. Why don't you guys get right and receive it? You see, it's also interesting that in Matthew 2, you see the wise men, the Magi, they're Gentiles. And they come as the king of the east, the kings of the east. And what do they do? They worship him. They seek him out. They find him. They worship him. What did Israel do? They didn't want him. Here at the end, what's the case? They don't want him. What are the Gentiles doing? Truly, that's the Son of God. What's that little flock doing? Wail, bewailing and lamenting. They know that they've just killed the Messiah. Here we are again. Isaiah, t- uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 27. By the way... Isaiah 60 says that uh, the kings of the Gentiles will come and worship the Messiah and then identifies the very gifts that they bring. And here they are in Matthew 2. That's what they do. All right, verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him. So it's not just one Gentile, but it's a whole bunch of them. It's a company of them. And what do they say? Truly, this was the Son of God. The centurion, he watched the Lord die. He, remember, we went through it. He, he didn't go. He stayed. And you know what he says? There's something different about this guy. There's something different on how he's dying. And think about the centurion, a Roman centurion. He wasn't a palace guard. He'd been down in the trenches. He knew what it was to see people die. He was hardened. He's one of the, 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 the great soldiers that they talk when they talk about Rome. He watched the Lord dismiss his spirit. He knew that there was something different. That's why he would say, Truly, this was the Son of God. You know, you think about Peter. He asked Peter in Matthew 16, Who say ye that I am? And what did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here, you have the Gentile proclaiming exactly what the nation of Israel should have been proclaiming. He's identifying himself with exactly the same thing that the little remnant is saying. But the effect of Christ, the death of Christ on Israel, the nation, is judgment. And yet, For the Gentiles, there's hope. There's the hope. There is hope for them as they recognize him as Messiah. They join themselves with that little remnant. In Acts 7, they stone Stephen. In Acts 8, you have the picture with Philip going to the Ethiopian. There's the Gentile. He's been up at Jerusalem seeking light. Boom, Gentiles are ready. Then you got Philip go over and deal with the Samaritans. They're ready. And yet, Jerusalem, there's nobody there but the 12. Gone. So you got the Gentiles ready. You got the Samaritans ready. You got everybody ready. But who really should be? So there's hope for them. And that's what you see there in verse 15. um, in, 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 in verse uh, 54. Now, if you look at verse 57, there is hope for Israel too because here comes one of their rulers. Here comes a Pharisee. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. So you have Joseph of Arimathea. He's a rich man. He's a Pharisee. He comes. By the way, Nicodemus also comes. We we know who Nicodemus is. Uh, you see that in John's account. And they come, and uh, they're two rulers of Israel. But yet they had been fearful. <laughs> uh, uh, you, look here at verse. Well. They had been fearful to be identified with Jesus. And they didn't really do a lot of speaking out. But here they come to get his body. Now, what verse 57 and 58 is, is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse number 9. Isaiah 53, verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. How did that happen? Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, comes over. And takes care of it. See? So Isaiah 53, 9 gets fulfilled. But if you'll notice in Matthew 27, verse 52, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. That's the key. <laughs> after. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Notice this event happens after his resurrection. It couldn't be before because Christ is the firstfruits. After him comes other other people. So these people are raised up after his resurrection, and they go over, and they go into the city. This is kind of like the Lazarus, when he raised Lazarus up event. and uh, So not only does Christ resurrect, but then the bodies of some others come over and they testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, what, you, what happens with this passage is some of the commentaries out there say that this is when the Old Testament saints are resurrected and then transported into the third heaven when Christ descends. So this is what they use to say, Abraham's bosom part, this is the movement, and this is what you're seeing. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't seem to work, okay? Because, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't know where they would have been for 40 days before he ascends up. See, the text doesn't say. It just says this happens. The only place you read about It is in Matthew, by the way. It's in the resurrection of Christ that assures the resurrection of the nation itself. That's the picture you're seeing. Christ's resurrection solidifies the resurrection of Israel. By the way, Ezekiel 37, Daniel chapter 12 over there, Daniel 12 indicates that the Old Testament saints are resurrected at the beginning of the millennium. Daniel 12, verse 2. So they do get resurrected to go into the kingdom. Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. That's a picture of resurrection for Israel. The flesh comes back onto the bones. Well, what kind of flesh? Resurrected flesh. They stand there. They're alive alive. And Ezekiel says that that resurrection is a picture of the restoration of the nation of Israel into that kingdom. So here in Matthew, you have a picture being described of God's restoration of the nation. A picture of God leaving the veil rent. He's left. Then you see a picture of the restoration of the nation, the resurrection issues there. Then you see a picture of the Gentiles joining hands with the picture of the daughters of Jerusalem, the little flock, the remnant there. Then you have a picture of Joseph, the rich man of Arimathea, coming and begging for the body so he'll fulfill Isaiah. So you got so all these events are happening here. And Matthew just throws them down on the page. All right? There's not a lot of explanation. 27:59. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. I'm sorry, out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the, to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. So, come over to Luke 23, get a little more information on Joseph of Arimathea. By the way, if you have a Schofield reference Bible, at the bottom of Matthew 27, uh, here, 28, he gives two order of events footnotes. The first one, the order of events, and then the second one is the order of the Lord's appearances that are excellent. They care, they, they, he takes all four Gospels and he puts those events in. Now, we don't have the time to read that and look at it, but if you can Google it or get online or something, he really does an excellent job of pointing out these events. Uh, Luke 23. Now you had time to find Luke 23. Look at verse 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He did not consent to the death sentence that they gave against Christ. Him and Nicodemus were probably the only two no's, no, 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 in the room. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, which also himself waited for the kingdom of of god so back there in matthew 27 1 they they're they're wanting to kill him joseph said no so just like uh anna and simeon there in luke 2 what are they what are they waiting for the kingdom of god the salvation he was a man of faith he he was a, a, a member of that believing remnant in the nation even though he's one of the leaders of Now come over to John 19. A little more information. John 19. Because Joseph and Nicodemus both get bad raps in some of this. But John 19, 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus... But secretly for the fear of the Jews besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. Notice, secretly because he was in fear because of who? The Jews. You've got to pay attention to that. He was a disciple of Christ, but he was also over... In- Mixed up in the leadership. He wasn't out following him. Okay, he, Secretly, he was there. Because he had a position in the Sanhedrin. So he just kept his mouth shut about it. Now what happens is, is then everybody piles on and says, yeah, well, he got to confess the Lord and do all this stuff. The problem is, is that's, that comes a little later, all that instruction. Now watch verse 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wrapped it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jews preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Notice those very carefully. Christ, where Christ was crucified there was a garden. Genesis 3 we have the entrance of sin taking place in a garden. When Christ dies and, produce, and produces the forgiveness of sins, the Putting away of sin, which is the burial issue, it takes place in a garden. These men were secret disciples for the fear of the Jews. If you come back to chapter 12 of John, John 12, verse 42... Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. These guys have been called Fifth Amendment believers. You know what the Fifth Amendment is? I won't answer, lest it incriminate me and I get kicked out of the synagogue. <laughs> And uh, when it comes to Christ's death, he dies. His death makes them bold enough, so they come forward, take his body, and go. come back to Matthew 27, and they go and bury him in Joseph's tomb. And that's interesting, because just like Christ took Barabbas' cross, what he deserved, just like he suffered for sin and the punishment of God that God gave him against sin that Rome then administers. What does he do here? He took Joseph's place in death and in the grave. And Joseph's tomb is a great demonstration of that because Joseph's tomb is now what? It's what? Empty. Matthew 27, verse 61. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. They see where it is, and they set a watch. Okay? Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate. Uh Uh-oh. Saying, Sir... We remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Isn't that interesting? They come now and they say, when he was alive, he said three days he's going to rise again. they have already mentioned this back verse 40, verse 40 there. And in, in, in his trial, they misquote him and they say in there. and they said thou thou that destroyeth the temple and buildest it in 3 days shall save thyself you know it goes back to chapter 26 in verse 61 they said this fellow said i am able to destroy the temple of god and to build it in 3 days they distorted what he said They distorted his doctrine before the people. But when they go to Pilate, it is clear that they really did understand what he said. Now they're not saying, I will destroy the temple and raise it three days. Now they're saying, if you kill me after three days, I'm going to rise again. They really don't get what he's saying, but they do catch that, you know what, he, he might just do this. So they're going to twist the doctrine here, and they're going to go into Pilate. Now, just think about Pilate, poor guy. What does he say there, verse 65? These guys want the tomb sealed, and uh, they wind up producing a situation that actually gives testimony to his resurrection because they want it sealed so they get Pilate Pilate said there verse 65 you have a watch go your way make it as sure as you can I love that by this time Pilate's so ticked off with them he's so fed up with them he, he's had it up to here with them as they say you know he, he's uh, he's very confused about what he's seeing with the Lord he's very concerned about the Lord And about the one he just had crucified, I mean, you think about that. He has attempted three or four, three times to say to get to deliver him. Now he had the power to deliver him, but he didn't. But he's trying to do that. He's beat the guy, and when he beat Christ, Christ never cried out a foul word or never said anything about it. He 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 never strikes back. He never you know just he just lets it be done. Pilate got up, you know, he gets up early in the morning. He's got to deal with that phony trial. He's got this. He's got his wife harping in his ear about leave the guy alone. You don't want to mess with him. <laughs> All you're going to do is have trouble. He writes up there, uh, you know, uh, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. He has it in, in uh, Hebrew and in Latin and Greek. They look at him and say, no, don't say that. Write, take that down. And he says, look, guys, I've written it. It's going to stay that way. Now they got him k- killed, They're gonna, he's, and now he's buried. They come running in now the next day and say, he said he's going to rise in three days. We want you to do all this stuff. You know he's about done with them. So sarcastically, verse 65, Pilate said unto them, you have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as can. Yeah, you, you guys go do your best, but it ain't going to hold him. <laughs> Again, Pilate knows there's something different about the Lord, whom he's just killed. And Pilate knows that, it's, that he messed up. He's washed his hand of the blood of the innocent. So when we come in here, verse 66, So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. You remember there's a seal in Revelation 20 when the Lord bounds up Satan and casts him into the bottomless pit and shuts him up and sets a seal upon him. That seal doesn't get broken, by the way. This seal, man-made, this seal, he's just going to walk right out. So Matthew 28, verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. They've been watching. They see what happens. Now, what happens here, again, it's the first day of the week. So we've looked at it back in Matthew 12 when we talked about Jonas there. Three, uh, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We're getting close to Easter time. We know the Lord was was killed on Thursday, and we've worked all that out. But again, what 21.8 does for us is is it gives the proof that it wasn't Wednesday, you know, the 72-hour idea, too much time, and it wasn't Friday, the religious time, the religious idea, not enough time. So what you have, if you look there at verse 64, command therefore that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day. What you begin to have is you begin to have the proof of on, that th- on the third day and after the third day issues begin to play here. Uh, if you look in 28, if you look over at verse 11, Matthew 28, 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things done that were done. Notice when he says, now when they were going, this is after the resurrection. So they're going to go now to the high priest. Now we're skipping down. Why? Matthew 28:1 they come the ladies are coming to the sepulcher they're going to find out in 2764 command therefore the sepulcher be sealed boom Matthew 28:11 now when they that's going to be the guards that he set they go they're coming again after the resurrection They're they're going to go to the chief priest, verse 12, and when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught, And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Now kind of think about what's happening here. They go to the chief priest and tell them that the angel rolled the stone away. He's gone. We don't know what happened to him. He's gone. So the chief priests say, no, here's your story. Large sums of money. (laughs) Here's your story. What you're going to say is that the disciples came. You were asleep. The disciples came and took him. Okay? Now, if they say that, that's called lying, and the penalty for a soldier to lie was death. That's why they say, verse 14, if this comes to the governor's ear, we'll secure you. We'll bribe you, and we will bribe Pilate, and you won't be in trouble now all the soldiers were to go and say we fell asleep on our watch right that's what they're going to say again (laughs) that ain't going to happen for a Roman soldier they're in trouble by the way if they all fell asleep how do they know the disciples came and took him they couldn't they were asleep so yeah, bad argument is right. What happened to those soldiers is that when that angel, when those two angels come down there and roll that stone over, it knocked them down. It, it it they fell asleep out of what they just saw happen. If an angel came and and just appeared and demonstrated himself, it would make, cause you to fall over. It would you would faint. We would say. These guys. Again, they're not a bunch of scared, you know, uh, guards. That's, you know, I think about the guards outside of Buckingham Palace in the uniform. Palace guards. These guys are hardened soldiers. Again, if you think about the disciples are the ones that bury him, Joseph and Nicodemus. If they've, and then all of a sudden they're, they're going to come up and rob the grave. So some of this, just what you're seeing here is you're de- seeing the demonstration of human nature by the, and the religious distri- uh, of what's going on. Now go back up to Ma- Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. The angel comes and rolls the the stone. Now there's a real kind of complicated series of events here that are, that's going to take place. And and again Schofield's note does a great deal of work with it. The angel, verse 2, rolls that stone away from the door and sat on it. And again, when that happens, those soldiers are down. All right? And if you come, verse 3, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Think about that. In Luke 24, in the account, the ladies are coming. They're discussing how they're going to get the stone rolled away. They come. They see it's already been moved. What does the angel say? Come and see. Look over there at Luke, Luke 24. <clears throat> come and see. Well, Well, you know what? You're still in Matthew 28. Just stay there. Verse 6. He is not here. For he has risen, as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, when Peter and John get there, they go running in and they see the linen clothes still laid out. So, again, imagine someone saying that the disciples stole his body. If that was the case, why did they unravel him and leave his linen clothes laid and the head napkin laid just perfectly? You see, the Lord came up right out of those linen clothes. The angel, so, I mean, if you just think about that, it doesn't fit. But the, the religious leaders aren't thinking. They're reacting in the moment. So the angel rolls the stone away so the people can go in and see that he's what? Not there. When Christ left that morning, he just ascended up, right up through the stone, up through... He didn't have any trouble. He went, he, <laughs> he's going to walk through the upper room door. He's just going to go in. It wasn't, it wasn't to get the Lord out. It was to show that he was risen. Verse 4. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. That's what happened to the soldiers. They didn't go to sleep. They passed out when they saw, that, when they saw the angel. And the angel, verse 5 answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. He told them he would rise, and he did. He kept his word. The ladies come. Verse 7, the angel tells them, Go quickly and tell his disciples, that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. Now, real quick, if you run over to verse 16, we'll get this next time with the commission thing. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee in the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. He's already told them, listen, when I get up, when I resurrect, we're going to go meet over here in Galilee. Now, they don't... (laughs) They don't do some things, and we'll see this next time in the event. They go hunker down for a while. Then he goes through in that upper room. That's not here in Matthew. Okay? Verse, where did we stop? Verse 8. And when they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And... As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail, and they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Now, some then, well, then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now, there's something very significant here. Come over with me to John chapter 20. Because in the course of events, John 20, verse 16 and 17, takes place. And it takes place at least two hours before Matthew 28 event happens. John 20, 16. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. Now think about where we're at, verse 11. But Mary was, stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeing two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. Notice it's a period. One word called her by name. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I have ascended unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. And that's why Mary Magdalene is so popular with everybody is because of this instance right here. But Mary Magdalene is the first one to get to the tomb. She saw what happened. So back in Matthew, when the the Marys get there, they see what happens. She runs to get Peter and John. They come. She follows them back to the tomb. She's standing there. And he appears to her. And he says, you can't touch me. In Matthew 28, verse 9, what did they do to him? They grabbed him. They held on to him. They held him by the feet and worshipped him, 28 9. The women hold on to him. And you know what? He doesn't say anything to him. So in in the first John 20, don't touch me. I have to go do something first. He comes back. It's about two hours later. And then he says, touch me. It's It's good to go. All right? So now, what's important about that, come back to Leviticus 23. By the way, that's moving for him to go from earth up to to, to the Father. That's what he said there in John 20. In John 20, let's get it in our head. John 20, he said, "Touch Touch me not, verse 19, For I am not yet ascended unto my Father, I, and then he says, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. He's got to ascend to the Father. Where's the Father? Third heaven. So he's going to leave earth, go to the third heaven, fulfill Leviticus 23 in picture and picture and fulfillment, and then he's going to come back and he's going to say, Touch me. Paul says he's going to fashion our vile body like unto his glorious body. That's the body you and I get for the heaven. That's moving okay, and in less, come back to Leviticus 23, and in less than two hours, he got a job done, and he's back, that's fast, so now, when you come back to Leviticus 23, okay, Leviticus 23, you see the picture of this, and I'm going to put it up here on the board, he's, the 14th day, that's his crucifixion, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he dies. That's our first day. The next day, the fifth. Whoops, that's a crooked box, isn't it? The fifteenth, the sixteenth. This is a high, high, high uh, Sabbath, a special Sabbath. Here's the regular Sabbath. By the way, that's a night. Here's a day. That's a night. Here's a day. That's a night. And here's the seventeenth, and he's up. Resurrection. Okay, then this is Sunday. Whoops. Sunday. First day of the week. So here's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Alright, that's real fast. It's important because when we now talk about Leviticus 23 and what he's doing. The 14th day is Passover. Alright, in the evening, in the night, they eat the Passover meal. Leviticus 23, verse 5, in the 14th day of the first month, that even is the Lord's Passover. The Passover is offered. The night between the 14th and the 15th, they eat the Passover. The day after the Passover is a high Sabbath day. They do no servile work. Okay? All right, they do no work. The day after that is... The regular weekly Sabbath. So guess what? They do no work. Okay? Now watch verse 10, Leviticus 23, 10. By the way, verse 6, uh in the 15th day of the month is the feast of what? Unleavened bread. That's gonna be a picture here of his of his of his burial. Or in his death. We'll see and so forth. We studied this out in our study on understanding Israel. We spent weeks talking about the feast and and what they represent. Verse ten Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye have when ye become into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto The priest. So now we're going to have a first fruits. Okay? Verse 11. By the way, Christ's resurrection is said to be, 1 Corinthians 15, first fruits. Verse 11. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. Now watch. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. When's he going to wave it? That first day of the week. On the morrow after the Sabbath. You got Passover, you got unleavened bread, you got first fruits. The resurrection on that first day, and he's going to wave it. Okay? The day after the Sabbath, the priest goes in, presents the wave offering, and again, type of the resurrection of Christ, and off they go. Verse 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord." So now after this day, we're going to go 50 days and there's our Pentecost and Acts 2. And you go read in chapter 1 of Acts and he spends 40 days with them talking about things pertaining to the kingdom. And in this time, you've got, he's got 10 days there where he's out doing and he's up and running. Okay. So when you come back to Matthew 28... When Christ dies at Passover as the Passover he is resurrected as the first fruits between the time of his resurrection on that morrow after the sabbath and where be- business gets done it begins again sunday morning in the temple at the very time of the morning oblation those priests in the temple in Jerusalem, we're offering the wave offering before the Lord of the first fruits. Jesus Christ was in the third heaven before God the Father. Can't touch me. I got business, the Father's business to go deal. When He's in the presence of the Father, He is fulfilling the type he went up there for a testimony of the first fruits of the accomplishment of what he has done he's fulfilled the picture the type that the, pe- the the feast offerings displayed in absolute detail the reason he doesn't the reason he says don't touch me is that he couldn't go into the holy place until he had gone just like the priest couldn't go into the holy place until he had gone through the cleansing, you know. He had to wait another day. He'd have been disqualified. Those chief guys, the, the leadership there, they don't want to go into the hall of judgment unless they're polluted. See? Christ is fulfilling the real type. He's, so he literally leaves here Looks at Mary Magdalene and says, You can't touch me. I've got to tell my disciples I'll be back. I've got to go up and finish the business. He goes up. In his death, he had, been, he had shown the fulfillment of Passover. In his burial, he had shown the issue of the unleavened bread. Done. In his resurrection, first fruits. Done. Boom. Gone. He goes up to the Father. In Hebrews, he he describes him as, well, not Hebrews, but I try to think about this. He literally crawls up on that altar and says, it is finished. I'm done. Everything is done. Okay? So it's 10 after. The hour is up. And we'll finish up the book next couple more lessons, and we'll get the book finished. I want you to get this thing about the first fruits and and how that Christ fulfilling every single detail as he goes through these events because there's a reason for all of it. He's the first fruits of the harvest of the resurrection. One more passage real quick, 1 Corinthians 15. Interesting verse, nobody understands it for some reason. Everybody chops it all up. And yet, it's real clear when you let the verse say what it says and you understand what he's doing here at Calvary. 1523. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Now think about that. There will be the rapture of the church the body of Christ. So Christ resurrected. There's going to be the mystery revelation of verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. The rapture of the church, the body of Christ. And then there's Christ coming at his coming, which then is when the Old Testament saints come back. So when you think about his every man in his own order, obviously the first one up, is who? Christ. Then there's an order. First, the body of Christ. Then the second coming causes the Old Testament saints to come up. There's an order. I don't know why people trip and fumble over this verse. To me, it's pretty straightforward. Okay? So what you have is you have this order. But it's all because he's already accomplished that issue. Okay? All these three have been fulfilled. Acts 2. Pentecost is fulfilled, and then the last three feasts have yet to be fulfilled trumpets, tabernacles, and a day of atonement. Okay? Those get fulfilled in the second coming, their future of yet. All right? So we'll pick up here in Matthew 28 and uh, rumble down through the end because there's a lot really going on at the end. And again, I don't mean to skip over the events, but they're there. And uh, if you find Schofield's notes on Matthew, uh, the order of events, uh, and then the order of the Lord's appearances, we'll uh, maybe look at some of that next time, okay? All right, dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the look here into the Word. We thank you for the instruction that you've given to us. We thank you for the clarity with which your Word presents the details of the life of our Savior especially these last moments of his life. And we thank you for that. And we pray that these would be clear to us and an encouragement to us and that our instruction in them might be profitable for thy glory. In your name we pray. Amen.